Okay, let's open up to John chapter 14. John chapter 14 this morning. And we're going to look at verses 16 to 21. This is a series that we started two Sundays ago. So this will be the third and final message on a series entitled The Deity of Christ. I've entitled this message, The Spirit of Truth. So we're going to look at the person of the Holy Spirit here, among other things. Look at the person of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So uh, this is part three of the series, The Deity of Christ, The Spirit of Truth. The first message was titled, The Word Became Flesh. Uh, The second message was, The Mystery of the Trinity, the Triunity of God. Uh, And so this is the third and final message here on this uh, series. So John chapter 14, let's read verses 16 through 21. John chapter 14, verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Verse 19, a little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him, or reveal myself personally to him. And so Jesus here is speaking of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Parakletos, who is going to come, the Spirit of Truth, who is going to come uh, to us and dwell with us and be in us, inside of us. It's It's a great... Uh, mystery here, how that happens. But again, Jesus says, I'm going to pray to the Father. The Father's going to give you another helper. So you have the Son, you have the Father, and you have the Holy Spirit. You have the Trinity here. I'll pray to the Father. Jesus is speaking. He, the Father, will give you another helper. This is the uh, Holy Spirit. That He, the Holy Spirit, may abide with you forever. He's called the Spirit of Truth whom the world cannot receive. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, earlier in the chapter, John 14, verse 6. So Jesus is the truth personified. Here the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of truth because uh, God is one God, three persons. God is the same in nature and character and in essence, although he is three separate persons that make up the Godhead, one essence, one nature, one character, but three persons. So he's the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you. With you would be the Greek word para, like paragraph, para, para, come alongside. So he's going to be the one who's going to come alongside you. He will be with you and he will be in you, inside of you. The Holy Spirit will be with you, and he will be in you. He will be inside of you. And all of this relates to the mystery uh, of the Trinity. He continues in verse 18, saying, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So now he's saying, I'm going to come to you, but we know that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father on his throne, waiting for the Father to tell him to come and to take his church or to permit him to come and to snatch his church and take us to heaven at the rapture before he pours out his wrath upon this world. And, and yet he's saying, uh, I am going to come to you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Well, Jesus has come to us through the person of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is one with Jesus, although he's a separate person. And so he's saying, I'm going to come to you, but we know that physically Jesus is in heaven right now 
So his Holy Spirit has come to us, inside of us. He will be in you, not leave you as orphans. He says, a little while longer, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. Speaking about the eternal life in Jesus Christ, the resurrection from the dead. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. So this is why the mystery of the Trinity is so hard for us to wrap our little minds around. It's bigger than our minds can understand. It's one of those truths that we just won't really grasp until we get to heaven. And we just have to be okay with that. Again, we looked at many uh, different uh, threes in nature, things that we don't understand, but we take by faith. We believe anyways, even if we don't understand them. So here God, Jesus is saying, I am in my Father, which means that he's one with his Father, although he's a separate person. Father's in heaven. He came down here to the earth. I am in my Father. You are in me. So we are now in the body of Christ through faith in Jesus Christ. We now are made one with him. We are part of his body. So he says, I'm in my Father. You are in me and I am in you. How is Jesus in us? Through the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. He's in us through the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. Plurality in unity. Now, when God made man, God made man in God's image. And one aspect of this, although theologically it's, it's something that you probably can't uh, build your theological foundation on. Uh, but one way that God created us in his image is by the fact that we were created as a body, a mind, and a spirit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 says this, New Testament, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you or set you apart completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we were made in his image, uh, and part of that is that God made us as a three-part being, mind or soul, body, which is our physical, uh, our physical, the way that we manifest ourselves physically to the world and we understand the world is through our body, uh, and then the Spirit of God, uh, which God breathed into man. Uh, when God breathed life into Adam, his Spirit came into man. So man was created as an inferior trinity, body, soul, and spirit. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, when we look back at the very beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis, we see that when God created man in his image, we read this in Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God made man in his own image, and the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. So God just speaks about himself in the plural in Genesis 1, 26. And this is the Old Testament. Uh, this is what was revealed of God from the beginning. Let us make man in our image. It's God speaking, not God and all the angels. God didn't create us in, in, in the image of angels. He created us in his own image. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And so we have the mystery of the Trinity already in the very first chapter of Genesis uh, hinted at. We also have the fact that God revealed himself uh, as Elohim, the name Elohim. The uh, H-I-M at the end of Eloah is actually the plural, the plural form with the singular article, Elohim. If he wanted to just use the singular uh, form of the word God, he could have used Elo El or Eloah, but he put Elohim, and that is the name that is used uh, many times uh, for God, or the title that's given to God in the Old Testament, Elohim. You have the cherubim. Cherubs are one angel. Cherubim are many angels. Seraphim, Nephilim. That, that means that there's many uh, or several, uh, more than one and more than two. And so we have God revealed in the very beginning as the triune God, although it was a mystery, certainly, uh, for uh, the folks until Jesus Christ came to really understand how God could be one and yet be three persons. 
We remember last week that we saw that there are many uh, threes in nature. One of the threes that are in nature that we really didn't have time to look at last week is the idea of the forces of power, invisible forces of power, that act upon our universe, that act upon our planet, that really we wouldn't be able to exist without these three invisible forces of power. You have nuclear power or atomic energy, uh, which is coming from the sun. It's a big uh, nuclear reactor on the sun, and uh, this nuclear power gives us light and heat and allows all life to exist here on this uh, planet. So there's nuclear power or atomic energy. Uh, There is polar magnetism, where you have the north and the south pole, and you have the poles with their magnets, and all the birds traverse the oceans, and the butterflies, and all the animals that migrate, and so forth. The bees and everything else, they use uh, uh, the polar magnetism to know where they're going, and to know how to get there, and lay their eggs. And, you know, there's one uh, little bird, the veery bird, I think it was called, in uh, Maryland or Delaware, and they tra- track this little bird. It looks like a little sparrow. It, they, f- they tracked it with a GPS tracker all the way to Brazil, to uh, South America. It, it flew 4,000 miles across the ocean. And the amazing thing with this little bird is the little birds knew when there was going to be hurric- hurricanes over the Caribbean Sea because they would have had to pass over that area between uh, North America and South America to get to South America. They typically would leave their little uh, perches around June, sometimes mid-July. And the scientists are wondering, why do they leave at different times in different seasons? They don't leave at exactly the same time every year. Well, they begin to track the history, and they found out that the birds avoid the hurricanes. So the birds somehow knew weeks in advance when there was going to be a hurricane over the Atlantic Ocean, and they would leave early to miss the hurricane, uh, or they wouldn't exist as a species. And then they would go down there and nest and have their babies, and then they would fly back, and the process would start over again. So polar magnetism that all of God's creation uses, it's an invisible power, an invisible uh, force, or an invisible kind of GPS system that we can't see, but it is real. And then, of course, we have gravity. Uh, And gravity is what keeps us from flying off into space. It keeps us having an atmosphere. Uh, Again, our magnetic field around the earth uh, in in order to uh, keep the oceans pulled back so the oceans don't cover the land. You have have gravity uh, at work. So you have three forces of nature that are invisible, that life would not exist without them. Nuclear energy or power, polar magnetic power, and gravity. And, and again, so we have threes again in nature. People say, well, I don't believe in an invisible God that I can't see. Well, you believe in powers and forces all the time that you can't see. Uh, it just, just because we wouldn't exist without these forces or these powers that are at work upon us. And by the way, speaking of nuclear energy, watch what's happening with the whole climate change, uh, uh, global warming scenario that the scientists are talking about. What the big push is going to be is for nuclear power plants. That's what they're going to start talking about. That's actually now what the uh, uh, Democratic Party has finally uh, allowed or accepted onto their platform is nuclear power, nuclear energy as being a form of green energy. They're calling nuclear power green energy, clean energy. Although we have Chernobyl, although we have Fukushima with a huge earthquake in Japan and all of the radioactive material spilling out into the ocean and everywhere else, and we know that uh, it's very, very dangerous, but, you know, the royal families in Europe own all of this plutonium and all of this uranium, and nobody's building nuclear bombs anymore, so they need to sell all of these uh, materials from their mines. And so, you know, they came up with this idea of global warming about 20 years ago when the Cold War ended and they had nowhere to sell their uranium or plutonium anymore. So just watch for it. That's what's coming. That is the green energy push because they're going to say, my goodness, we just can't keep the lights on with solar because, you know, the, the sun doesn't shine all the time and the wind doesn't blow. So we can't keep the power on with, with wind energy. We need green energy. So we're going to go to nuclear energy. And that's, that is what is coming um, uh, interesting that we have the, the polar magnetism. The poles are actually shifting. Many of you have seen this in the news. They don't report on it too much, but if you look for it, you'll see it. The North Pole is moving toward Russia and Siberia. Uh, there is forces at work inside the core of the earth. They don't quite understand, but we are turning on our axis, which is why I believe the climate is changing, which is why I believe that the poles are melting, because we are turning. Our planet is turning 
on its axis. It's called a polar axis shift. The last time there was a major shift where the North Pole shifted to the south was probably at the time of Noah's flood. You would have tremendous earthquakes as a result. What are we seeing? We're seeing an increase in earthquakes right now all over the world, although you're probably not hearing about it because the news is just talking about COVID-19. It's not talking about earthquakes or other things that are happening. But there's earthquakes happening, volcanoes erupting right now all over the world along the ring of fire. Big earthquakes, big volcanoes erupting right now. This would be the result of the poles shifting, polar axis shift. And eventually the poles flip, and when they flip, you have all kinds of crazy cataclysmic uh, activity that will take place upon the earth. This is happening right now uh, on our planet, and they're, they're actually starting to get a little bit worried because the speed of acceleration is speeding up. Uh, it's speeding up, not slowing down with this polar axis shift. Uh, it's interesting, there is the South Atlantic anomaly, which is a weak point in the magnetic field of the earth that are very concerning to scientists, this anomaly between South America and South Africa, our magnetic force is weakening in this spot. As a matter of fact, it's weakening in two spots and beginning to split. They've never seen this before. And they say that they're trying to avoid that area with their satellite systems and their GPS systems because if they don't have the magnetic field with full force, the solar flares and the solar energy from the sun will destroy electronics like an EMP would, and, uh, and so they're very concerned about this. So I believe all of this uh, is, is, is why we're seeing our weather change and you know, more fires and uh, more earthquakes and volcanoes and so forth. So man was made in the image of God. God said he was going to create man in his image. We know that God is not like us. He doesn't have a body. He's a spirit. Jesus said God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Uh, but God made us in his image in that he gave us an intellect or a mind, like he has an intellect, he has a mind. He gave us a heart or the emotional capacity that we have emotions because God has a heart and God has emotions. And then he gave us a free will. He gave us volition, and volition is choice, because God is a free moral agent. He created us also as free moral agents. We were created in the image of God with an intellect, with an emotion, and with volition, or put another way, with a mind, with a heart, and with a will. Now, it's interesting that when God created us in this way, with these capacities that only he possesses, a mind, a heart, and a will— which made us different than all of the other creation that God created here on the earth, uh, he gave us the opportunity to utilize those aspects of who we are. And so when he made Adam, he brought him the animals, and he gave him the garden, and he told Adam to name all of the animals and to uh, manage the garden uh, of Eden all around him. So he would have something to do with his mind. He gave him something to utilize his mind, uh, take care of the creation, uh, then he also uh, allowed him to exercise love. He brought Eve to Adam, took Eve from his side, as we looked at last week. Uh, Eve was taken from his side. She was created and brought to him. And he said, now this is uh, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. The two shall become one flesh. And so God gave man, Adam and Eve actually, the capacity to love. And so to exercise love, to exercise the heart, uh, God allowed Adam and Eve to come together. Now, God also gave man volition or gave man a free will. So in order for man to exercise his free will, God put a tree in the center of the Garden of Eden and forbid man from eating from that tree. This was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God told him, uh, that the day that you eat from the, the tree uh, of knowledge of good and evil, that day you shall surely die. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, God says this to Adam, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you shall eat of it you shall surely die. 
And so God gave man a choice. If, if he made man in his image, and God has free will, volition, God gave man free will, and then God had to give man a choice and give man an opportunity to exercise that free will. Because love is not really love if you have no choice. If you're forced to love somebody, that's not real love. Uh, if you keep your you know, songbird in a cage and you never open the cage door, you can't say that bird really wants to be living in your cage singing sweetly. Uh, how do you know? Unless you leave the, the cage door open, you may never see your bird again uh, if you leave the cage door open. So love, love is not forced or coerced or manipulated. That's not real love. Uh, for love to be uh, to real, it has to be free. There has to be a choice to either accept or reject. And so here, uh, God gave man choice with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which man didn't need to eat from this tree. It wasn't necessary for man. It was probably the most attractive fruit in the whole garden because sin is always attractive. Satan always makes sin uh, look enticing and attractive, of course. But uh, to disobey God is death, and the wages of sin is death. And the, and the day that you eat from this tree, you shall surely die. So God gave man a choice in order to exercise his will. Otherwise, God would never really know if man loved him or if God was just really, uh, man was loving God because he didn't really have any other choice. So God had to give man the choice to exercise his will. And we know that, of course, man chose to disobey God. And, and this was uh, sad, it was tragic, it was uh, where sin entered the world and the fall happened, the curse came, death entered the world, disease, wars, uh, natural disasters, and everything else. Because man chose to disobey uh, God and disobey the Word of God and to listen to the voice of the serpent. Now, it's interesting that when man ate of the tree initially, he did not die immediately. Although God said in the day that you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. We know that Adam went on to live almost a thousand years. Not quite a thousand years, a little short of a thousand years. But he went on to live for 900 and some odd years after he ate. Eventually, of course, he did die, and all men have, have died. Every man since then has died that's ever lived, and woman. Uh, but when God said that the day that you eat from it, you're going to die, obviously he didn't mean physically die the day that you eat from it, because he didn't physically die the day that he ate. Remember, he, they hid in the garden, and they clothed themselves with fig leaves and all the rest, and they went on to live. He and Eve went on to live for uh, over 900 years after he ate. So when God says the day that you eat from it, you will die, he couldn't have been talking about physical death. Although for God, a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. Uh, Psalm chapter 90 tells us, and Second uh, Peter tells us this as well. So even from that standpoint, from God's perspective, Adam did not live for a day because he didn't live for a thousand years. Uh, however, he did die spiritually the day that he disobeyed God. He died spiritually. Now, death is separation. And so when God says the day that you eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die, death is separation. And so what died was the intimate harmony and fellowship that God had with man. That died when man disobeyed God. The intimate fellowship or, or uh, unity with God was severed when man disobeyed God. Man was then from that point on spiritually dead to God. And the evidence that man was spiritually dead to God was that man was all of a sudden ashamed, and man was all of a sudden afraid, and man was, you know, trying to cover himself with fig leaves and hide from God in the Garden of Eden because death had occurred. Spiritual death had occurred. Remember, man was created uh, body, mind, and, and spirit, and the spirit of man died, or the spirit of God within man died or left man at that point when man disobeyed God. And so now man was dead spiritually. Death is separation. Uh, they were naked. They were ashamed. They covered themselves with fig leaves. God had to kill an animal to provide animal uh, skins to cover up their nakedness. And then you know immediately after that, death came into the world. Not only was the animal killed in order to provide them coverings for their nakedness, uh, and there was no even animal death prior to the fall, but the animal died to cover their 
sin, to cover their nakedness. And then Cain murdered his brother Abel, fratricide. So their first two children, one murdered the other. And so death came in and, and hit them probably far more severely uh, to see their son murder their other son. That would have been far more painful for them rather than them just dying uh, the day that they ate of the tree physically. They did die, but not uh, exactly when they ate. But they died spiritually to God. At that point, man was no longer ruled by his spirit. So when God created us, he created a spirit first in his image. God is spirit. He made us as spirits. And so our spirit dwells within our body, and our spirit is that which is eternal. God made us, and we're going to live forever somewhere. Uh, we were supposed to be managed or controlled by our spirit. The spirit was that uh, immaterial part of us, the essence of who you are and who I am, the spirit uh, of us dwelling within our bodies. Uh, and, and we were supposed to be controlled by the Spirit of God, which would be in harmony with God, to where our minds would be controlled by God's Spirit. And then as our minds were controlled by God's Spirit, then our bodies would do the things that please the Lord, because we'd be in harmony with God, as it was before the fall. After man sinned, the Spirit of God within man died and, and departed, and man was now ruled by the appetites of his flesh. Instead of the flesh being that which was just here to take care of uh, the earth and to take care of the family and uh, to work and, and to uh, satisfy the, the, the needs of, of the body, food, drink, air, reproduction, and so forth. Instead of the spirit ruling over the body and the mind, now the spirit of man was depart or the spirit of God was dead within man, separated from man, and now man was controlled by his bodily appetites. So after the fall, because this spiritual death occurred, man is now controlled by his fleshly lusts or his fleshly appetites. And so instead of things being used properly and the way God intended, everything is misused and everything is abused. Uh, and now the body rules us instead of the spirit ruling us for, for man that is separated from God. You know, we have our, uh, our, our desire for food, and uh, they tell us that, you know, man can't live without food, without drink, without air, uh, without, you know, reproduction or reproducing uh, our kind and the race and so forth. Uh, and after the fall, all of a sudden, these fleshly appetites began to dominate man. So now what do we see? Instead of man just eating healthy food and food that he needs just to keep our body strong, man eats all kinds of garbage and eats all kinds of junk food and food that's killing us because we're controlled by the lusts of our appetites, by our flesh. It's not that the Spirit of God is controlling us uh, apart from Christ. We are letting our fleshly appetites drive us and consume us. So man takes something that was natural and good and, and perverts it and twists it into something that is unhealthy and dangerous. Uh, drink the same way. God gave us uh, you know, water to drink and healthy juice to drink and so forth, and yet what do we do? We take that healthy juice, we let it rot, become fermented, fermented then we drink it and get drunk off of our minds, uh, and so, you know, we take the natural thing of drink, and instead of it just being that which satisfies our thirst, it becomes something that becomes intoxicating and poisoning, actually, to our body. You know, we have the healthy air that God has provided for us, and then we pollute it with all of the uh, coal mines and, you know, everything else that's spewing out filth into the atmosphere and so forth, especially coming from the third world countries, China and India, uh, just destroying, really, uh, the air that we breathe in, in, in many of these countries with their uh, unchecked uh, emissions there, really. It's, it's, it's a huge problem over there in those, in, in those developing countries. But we, we're, we're poisoning the air uh, that we breathe. Uh, not only are we poisoning the air that we breathe because of man's greed, but also, you know, we smoke things. We smoke cigarettes. We smoke drugs. And you use that natural God-given breath to take in air, and instead of breathing in healthy oxygen, we're breathing in things that are poisoning us, things that are killing us. Uh, and and uh, so everything was twisted and turned, uh, as it were, on its head when sin entered into the world. And then, of course, reproduction was, uh, you know, God said, be fruitful and multiply, and it was good. Um, 
but reproduction, man is now driven by his lust. And so you have all kinds of sexual perversion taking place uh, because man has abandoned the natural order of creation and the natural purposes that, for which God created uh, sex and reproduction for the procreation of the race and uh, you know, oneness in marriage, in a monogamous marriage, heterosexual marriage between one man, one woman for life. It's all been thrown out the window uh, because of sin. And so now man is rushing headlong to satisfy his fleshly appetites, uh, and, and the fleshly appetites are now controlling man instead of the Spirit of God uh, controlling man. Now in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul the Apostle says this about the mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 says this, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. And so Paul is saying there is a spiritual blindness that Satan has over the minds of the unbelievers. This is why you cannot reason with somebody who is not saved when it comes to arguing theology or arguing the Trinity or arguing the deity of Christ or arguing uh, propitiation, the sacrificial atonement of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, or arguing the resurrection. I mean, these things, you know, the natural mind, the natural man cannot discern these things. The Bible says that the natural man cannot ascertain or understand the things of the Spirit because they're only spiritually apprised or understood or ascertained. So the carnal mind cannot understand the things of the Spirit. That's why sometimes when you're talking to an unbeliever, you feel like you're literally just beating your head against a wall. You get nowhere. It's better to actually pray for people, for God to save them, for God to open their minds, for uh, God to shine light into their minds because their minds are darkened by the enemy. They're darkened by the devil. This is what he says here. The God of this age, speaking of Satan, has blinded those who do not believe, speaking of the mind, lest the light of the gospel uh, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So we are darkened in our, in our sin. Our minds, our hearts are darkened by the clouds of sin and fear and doubt until God uh, reveals himself to us and saves us, and His Holy Spirit comes to take up residence within us, that we would be, as it were, born again. Now, the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, was sent. Uh, Jesus said, he's, my Father's going to send Him to you in order to dwell within us. He will be in you, uh, and we will then be reconciled with God. That is how salvation occurs being born again. The spirit which was dead because of sin from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden is now once again made alive as it was, as the Spirit of God was made alive before the curse uh, occurred and the fall occurred. Uh, now the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, who is omnipresent, who is omniscient, and who is omnipotent, comes and takes his rightful place within you and I through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, it is interesting that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, uh, is also called God in the Scriptures. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 3, I'll read this to you. Peter said this, he said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but you have lied to God. So it's a very important point that Peter is making here, the apostle, that the Holy Spirit is God, because he told him in verse 3, Satan has filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. And he says, you've not lied to man, but you've lied to God. So we have the deity of the Holy Spirit mentioned for us throughout 
uh, the Scriptures, even throughout the Old Testament, but specifically here in the New Testament. We read also in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, Paul the Apostle says this, Therefore also take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Very interesting. The, the, the triunity of God really is mentioned here, but uh, it is specifically speaking about the Holy Spirit being God because he says the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to the pastors and the elders uh, and the apostles and so forth in the early church to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Well, who's he? Well, we know Jesus is the one who purchased the church with his own blood, but he's talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he, the Holy Spirit, purchased with his, the Holy Spirit's, blood. So how is the Holy Spirit the one who shed his blood on the cross of Calvary? Because the three are one and the one is three. It's, it's just too hard for us to understand, but it is the truth. When Jesus Christ was dying uh, on the cross of, of Calvary to atone for your sins and mine, the Holy Spirit was also there, and the Father was there through his Son, because Jesus said, I am in my Father, my Father is in me, and my Father and I are one. And so really, the Lord took our sins upon himself and died on the cross in our place, in order to redeem us, and in order to save us. Back where we started in John chapter 14 and verse 16, I'll read this again to you. Jesus says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So he's a person. Jesus is saying this is a person with a personality. You could grieve the Holy Spirit. You could uh, uh, make the Holy Spirit uh, joyful about what you're doing in serving Christ. You could grieve him by disobeying Christ. He's a person. He has a personality. He has a mind. He has a heart. He has a will. And he says, so he... Uh, will dwell with you, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, verse 17, but you know him, for he, the Holy Spirit, dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So he's going to be the one who's going to be God in us. He's going to dwell within us, and the spirit is going to be made alive so that man can once again not be dead to God because of sin, but can be reconciled with God as the Spirit comes and takes his rightful place living within our bodies. He says, a little while longer, the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You will live also. At that day, you will know I am in my Father. You are in me. I am in you. And he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will reveal myself to him or manifest myself to him. So all of this is speaking about us becoming united and reconciled with God, uh, reunited and, and made once again whole, as it were, because apart from God, we're broken. Apart from God, we're fallen. Apart from God, we're dying and we're controlled and consumed by our appetites of our lust and of our flesh. And so God says, I'm going to come in, and I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you, and he's going to live inside of you forever, speaking of the person of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16 and verse 13, Jesus says this about the Holy Spirit. He says, however, when he, the Spirit of truth has come, called the Spirit of Truth, just like Jesus said, I am the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. When he comes, the Spirit of Truth uh, has come. He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Verse 15, all things that the Father has are mine, Therefore I said that he will take of mine and give it to you or declare it to you. And so this person 
of the Holy Spirit is going to come into our lives when we're born again. He's the spirit of truth. He's going to lead us into all truth. Uh, he's, he's not going to speak of himself, Jesus said. He's only going to speak of me, uh, testify of me, and bring people to me. The, the, the Spirit of God will not draw men to himself, but draw men to Jesus Christ. He will glorify me. The Spirit will glorify Jesus, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So when Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, lo, I am with you always, even into the end of the age, we know that that is happening for us as believers through the person of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, who's taken up residence within us for those who are born again. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, tells us this. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of His glory, of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. How is Christ in you and me? Through the person of the Holy Spirit. Even though Jesus is in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father in his resurrected body, waiting to come back and take us, interceding for us there, waiting to come back and take us to heaven to be with him, the Spirit of God is in us now. We're made alive. We're born again. We're born from above by the Spirit of God. We're no longer dead to God. We're alive to God. We have harmony and fellowship and unity with God through the person of the Holy Spirit, and he's called Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Jesus talked about this with Nicodemus, and this is where we're going to wrap up here. In John chapter 3, Jesus talked about this, about this idea of being born again from above. And we read this in John 3 and verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water, and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you could hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit." And so this is where we get the idea from that you must be born again. It's from Jesus himself. It's not that the born-agains invented being born again. I was taught that when I was a kid in Catholic school and the altar boy and all the rest. You know, avoid those born-agains. You know, they're the born-agains, you know, the happy, clappy Pentecostals or, or Protestants or whatever. And so you'd be scared of the born-agains, you know, as a Catholic, at least when I was a kid. Uh, dangerous, those born-agains. But it's Jesus who taught us to be born again, right? This isn't something the born-agains made up or the Protestants made up. Jesus made this up. He told us this because it's true. Jesus is the one who taught us to be born again. It's real. It's not something that was invented by the church, by any church. Jesus says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And so if Jesus tells us that we must be born again, I think it's something that we should probably consider doing. If Jesus says you're not going to see the kingdom of heaven if you're not born again, then I would want to know, well, how can I be born again? What does that mean? And so Jesus explains this to us further in verse 15. He says that whoever believes in him should not perish, speaking about believing in the Son of Man, the Son of Man must be lifted up, the end of 14, John 3, 15, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is being born again, everlasting life, believing on the Son. Verse 17, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. 
And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds might be clearly seen, that they have been done in God or wrought in God. So uh, this, is, this is how we come into the light, God's light. Before we come to Jesus Christ, before we're born again, we are in darkness, terrible darkness. Our minds are blinded by the God of this world, even blinded to the reality of God's existence, the reality of salvation, the reality of who Jesus Christ is and what the cross uh, meant, and the reality of the kingdom that is coming in the future. Satan blinds uh, the, the minds of the, uh, of the unbelievers in this world in darkness. And, and yet Jesus is saying, this is the condemnation. The light has come into the world. He's, he's the light of the world. He said, I am the light of the world. Those who follow me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. So this is God's light come into the world. The light has come into the world. But here's the condemnation, uh, that the men love darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their, eeds were, uh, their deeds were evil. Their deeds were evil. And, and that's the problem. The problem is, is not intellectually whether, you know, uh, the Bible's true or intellectually whether, you know, it's reasonable to believe in Jesus Christ. Because it is. I mean, it, it is reasonable to believe in Jesus Christ. Intellectually, it's intelligent to believe in Jesus Christ, to believe we were created. We didn't just evolve here from nothing and from primordial ooze and, you know, monkeys and all the rest. I mean, that's not reasonable. Uh, it, it's reasonable to believe that God made us and he put us here. Uh, but you know, the, the idea is that our sins, because we love our sins, we are in darkness and we refuse to come to the light. So it's our sins that keep us from God. We have to repent. We have to acknowledge that we are sinners. We have to acknowledge that we are separated from God. We have to admit that we don't deserve to go to heaven because we're sinful and God's perfect. And we have to accept the light that has come into the world, and then we will be made light. He will put his light within us, and we will be born again, and we will be reconciled to God. We will be united to God, and then we will abide with God, and he will abide with us forever. In John chapter 1 and verse 12, Jesus, or uh, John says this about Jesus. He says, but as many as received him, John 1, 12, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So he makes us his children. If we receive him, he makes us his children. We have the right to become the children of God. And, and then we are saved. And then we are born again. And then we have eternal life. And then we could begin to uh, really subject our bodies and our fleshly appetites in accordance with the will of God. Instead of being ruled by our bodies and our fleshly appetites, we are now ruled by God's Spirit. He is in charge, and we want to please Him rather than pleasing our flesh or pleasing ourselves. And so I would encourage you this morning, if you've never personally trusted Jesus Christ for your salvation or asked Jesus to come into your heart and to forgive you and to save you. I encourage you to do that this morning. It's so simple. A child can do this. We all have to enter in this way into Christ. It's a narrow gate. It's a narrow road. It's a narrow way. And Jesus says there's few that find it. He says broad is the road that leads to destruction, and easy is the way that leads to destruction to hell. And many go that way, but narrow is the road, and hard is the way that leads to life. And there's only a few that find it. So it is a narrow way, but we, you know, God makes it so simple to us. We just have to surrender our will to him. We have to accept his free offer of salvation, ask Jesus Christ to forgive us, ask Jesus Christ to save us, ask his Holy Spirit to come and to take up residence within us, and then we are born again, and now we are made alive to God through Christ, and we become one with him. So I encourage you, do that today if you have not done that. That's how I got saved. That's how Pastor Bob got saved. That's how we all got saved. You have to, you have to 
be born again. You must be born again. If you want to pray with somebody, I'd be happy to pray with you after the service. Pastor Bob will be up here to pray with you after the service. And, and you don't have to pray with me or Pastor Bob. Pray. Ask God to save you, to forgive you, uh, to cause you to be born again. And he will do that for you. You just have to cry out to him and then uh, tell somebody about it. Make sure that you get plugged in. If you, if you decide to make that choice, Make sure that you plug into a church, you plug in with Christian fellowship, you plug into prayer, a devotional life, a prayer life. Uh, it's, it's such a glorious, uh, joyful, wonderful thing to have a relationship with the Lord. And so uh, we encourage you to choose Christ this morning. Let's pray. Father, I pray for all these here this morning, Lord, and I pray, Father, that each one would know you in a personal way. Father, please forgive us for our sins, Lord. We know that we all fall miserably short of your standard of holiness, your righteous standard of perfection, but thank you for sending us your Holy Spirit to help us, to transform us, to conform us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your heart, your mind, and your will through the person of your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for your people, Lord, that you would strengthen us, that you would encourage us, that you would use us, Lord, in these dark days. Lord, we believe we are living in the last days. We believe, Lord, that you are coming back soon for your church and soon to set up your kingdom. And so use us, Lord, to be light in this dark world, we pray. Thank you, Father God, for everyone who's listening to this message. And I pray for each one hearing this message, Lord, that they would fully submit their life to Christ and surrender their life to you today, that they might experience what it means to be reconciled with God, to be born again through the Holy Spirit from above. Bless your people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you all. <clears throat> we all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you, as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, if you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, email us at coahpodcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church to Hatchapi, California.